Welcome to Frankly Speaking. This is a new podcast on responsible business by Frank Bold, the European public interest law firm. I'm Richard Howitt, and after several years of debating responsible business issues inside the European Parliament, I'm hosting our discussions on the latest political, legal and business developments in the field of corporate sustainability, business and human rights. We speak frankly and personally about what moves policymakers, business and activists to make responsible business the norm. Today, Frankly Speaking welcomes Philip Greger, co-founder and head of the Responsible Companies section here at Frank Bold. Responsible Companies undertakes research, advocacy and events on corporate sustainability reporting. Philip personally serving on the European Commission's expert group on non-financial reporting and now as a member of the European Sustainability Reporting Standards Board, which uh, late last month submitted final draft standards to the European Commission. He's also a board member at the European Coalition for Corporate Justice and of the OECD National Contact Point in the Czech Republic, where he is based. Philip, welcome to Frankly Speaking. Hi, Richard. Thank you for the invitation. So let's um, try and look at these um, standards. Uh, uh, Twelve draft sector agnostic standards uh, taken over two years to produce. You've been looking at them as a board for a a lot of this year. For our listeners, just quite simply, why is this important? Well, first of all, without information, we can't do anything. I mean, the issues that we're facing as society, as economy, as business, as, as people, you name it, whatever your perspective is, are incredibly complex. And we need a common language. We need to be able to communicate about those issues. We need to be able to measure the issues. And if every single major corporation would be measuring these issues in a different way, we will never find that language. We'll be never able to move to a solution. And frankly, everybody will be frustrated. And that is actually what has been happening over the last 10, 15 years since, uh, since the moment when the business and the society started to take these issues seriously and started to explore sustainability reporting. Simple, uh, but I hope very clear for our listeners. How on earth do we introduce, to, in frankly speaking, the breadth of the, the, uh, the standards that have been produced? I'm going to ask you on each of the sections, the cross-cutting environment, social and governance, just to say one example or one thing that's notable from your point of view, just to give our listeners a flavour of what, what's in, in the draft. So let's start with the cross-cutting standards. I guess the, the most important issue there is really the question about the interaction between sustainability and company's business model and strategy. Basically, the cross-cutting standards guide companies how to think about these issues. They ask them a couple of questions about, right, so what are your impacts and risks? And by the way, this is how you can identify those those impacts and risks. These are the common rules. And then for those impacts and risks, which of them actually do interact with your business model and strategy? Which of them actually translate into the risks for your business? And on the other uh, other side of so-called double materiality, which of the impacts are kind of you know embedded in your business model and strategy? Which of them actually require some strategic changes in order to be managed, in order to be uh, in order to be addressed? So I, I guess this this conceptual clarity 
is really the greatest added value of the cross-cutting standards. And then, so I'm obviously... Now, I'm, I'm now going to push you into environment. <laughs> okay, please. We're going to do this uh, 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 without 45 minutes in a PowerPoint. So on environment, there are standards on climate change, pollution, water and marine resources, biodiversity, and circular economy. One example or one issue that you'd pull out of those. For each of them, I hope. No, just one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if uh, if I'm to select one, it's it's definitely the climate transition plans, and the uh, essentially more and more corporations are aware of the transition that we need to undergo as a society, as the economy, uh, and more more and more of them are making commitments and do report on uh, on where they are in this journey. You can't really compare the data. So what what the what the European standards or the proposal for the standards try to do is to provide really clear, clear questions that companies will have to answer when describing their, their transition plans. And that will ensure two things, really. Clarity for companies, what is a transition plan? What, what actually, they, how they need to think about this important strategic matter? And secondly, it will provide comparable information of the quality of companies' transition plans, of their ambitions, and um, and so on. So this is really what sets the European standards apart from anything else out there. No other standard out there. Actually, I mean, reporting standard has really taken up this challenge uh, until until now. So that's, there's been some really innovative uh, work being done by, by EFRAC, while at the same time, absolutely rooted in the, uh, in the common standards for what the transition is really is, what are the common goals, how do we actually... Uh, get to the uh, carbon neutrality by 2050 and so on. So when it comes to the substance, it is out there. But when it comes to reporting, that was the missing bit. The next is the social standards, where there are drafts on the, the workforce of the company, workers in the value chain, affected communities, and for consumers and end users. What would you pick out of that? These S standards are built on human rights due diligence. They do provide, again, a framework for companies, how to think about their due diligence with regard to these you know, potentially affected groups uh, of stakeholders and how to report, uh, how to report on their due diligence, how they identify the issues, what actions they take, and so on and so forth. Interestingly, the standards provide metrics, KPIs, only for own workforce, only for people who are either employed by the company or uh, like agency workers, you know, people um, about whom company has a, has a good overview. Uh, but when it, comes to the other, uh, when it comes to the other groups, the standards actually don't provide metrics in this regard because it's impossible to set those metrics at a sector agnostic level for all sectors, for all companies across all sectors. So the standards pretty much only again, provide a conceptual framework for companies how to report on these issues and, uh, and are not really prescriptive as regards any you know, concrete, uh, concrete metrics. So that's, that's, uh, that's a really interesting and very helpful approach. And the last one is governance. And compared with the, the drafts that went out to, the exposed drafts that went out to public comment, there's been quite a lot con of consolidation here. There's a specific uh, standard on business responsible business conduct, which uh, I suppose is raised on detriment of why we're talking. What would you say about about uh, governance? It's a very challenging area. One thing that really stands um, apart, and again, this is something coming from Europe. This is not necessarily coming from a uh, you know existing voluntary reporting standard. 
the G standard requires companies to basically report on their payment practices, especially with regard to the SMEs, and on the extent to which these payment practices or payment policies are actually adhered to in, uh, in, in practice. So if you, are, if, you are a, if you are a supplier to a large corporation, you can actually look at its track record in its annual report in terms of in terms of you know how many days it will take to uh, for this company to, to pay your invoice, and what is the likelihood <laughs> that they will actually adhere to these uh, let's say uh, payment practices and and policies of their uh, of their own. So that's that's I think extremely valuable for B two B relationships. And, and I like the uh, the well in governance on skills and competencies management, but especially board members, uh, and I, I hope that will shift the dial a bit in terms of um, uh, boards really taking ownership of this. So well done. You've got through them in record time, and I hope you've given a flavour to, to the listeners. What You and I have been working in this area for, for decades. Business typically, when anything new comes up, is worried about extra cost, extra burden. And so there was big issues in the, the public comment period about simplification uh, and making sure that all the good work that was done in the early part by FRAG, European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, uh, its project task force uh, and your predecessors, uh, that that work, however good it was, shouldn't be anything other than fully implementable by companies. And so there's that push from companies to make sure that there was as much simplification as possible uh, you were there in the board meetings. You were overseeing that that process. Did you succeed? I think so. <laughs> but it depends. I mean, uh, if you are a new, if you're new to reporting, to sustainability reporting, it will always be challenging. In the same way as financial reporting would be challenging to you if you set up a company and suddenly you have to follow the accountancy rules and so on and so forth. It's going to be challenging. And probably te- it will take you some time to get your head around it. But relatively speaking, comparing the breadth of the issues that we have to cover in the European standards, I think the standards are do, do really, really good job in providing a clear and simple and straightforward set of disclosure requirements. There's a concern, considerable number of, let's say, disclosure requirements and data points and so on and so forth. And you can see all kinds of statistics, uh, you know, a um, couple of dozens of disclosure requirements couple of hundreds or, or actually over 1,000 data points. But uh, actually, when you, when you look at what you need to report, you can summarize it on one or two slides in a PowerPoint. And I know it because I've, <laughs> I, I have done so. So I just let me, let, let me, give, you an, uh, let, let me give you an example. Uh, uh, companies need to report, uh, for example, on the consumption of water. And if they happen to operate in the areas threatened by water risks, then they need to kind of break this figure down for these, you know, threatened uh, threatened areas. So that it, it seems straightforward, like water consumption and uh, and consumption in water risk areas. And it probably accounts for I don't know five or six data points in the tally because you need to describe every detail of this in the in the standard. And the more details the standard is, the, the easier it is actually for companies to to figure out what they need to report, how they need to report it, and and so on. So it's all about uh, really about the uh, the perspective. Personally, I think we've done really really great job 
of course, you know, tapping my <laughs> shoulder on, on the shoulder of the uh, of the FRAC in simplifying this and in actually making as lean, uh, creating as lean system as possible, whilst not sacrificing on that conceptual clarity, on the alignment with the international standards. Uh, that's uh, that's so important for companies and for users alike. We've discussed the relationship between European and global standards many times, from frankly speaking, and and I'm sure we will do again. Uh, um, what I want to ask you is that they chose to do climate first, uh, and the European approach has been to look at standards across ES and G. Can you explain why? uh FRAG and the European approach chose chose that what what was the advantage from your point of view well first of all there's no option the underlying legislation the corporate sustainable reporting directive simply requires <laughs> reporting on all uh environmental and social issues so there need to be standards that's the first thing and the second thing is that uh, the European solution requires reporting on both impacts and let's say financial consequences of sustainability matters for for the company in terms of risks and opportunities and and so on and so forth. So the uh, international let's say standards, if we can call, call them like that, address only the financial perspective. And so in that regard, I mean it's actually very very difficult for them to address issues other than climate. Because when it comes to climate, it's quite clear that the impacts equal financial risks and opportunities. Your carbon footprint is, is big. Well, you are probably going to face some issues in the next decade or two because of the regulations that will try to save the planet, right? So <laughs> you, will, you, will probably, uh, you will probably face huge physical risks or the consequences of the physical risks if your assets are in threatened areas and so on and so forth. So the impacts pretty much cover the same ground as the risks when it comes to the climate. But when it comes to the other areas, there is certainly certain correlation or a causation between the impacts and uh, risks when it comes to the human rights or biodiversity and so on and so forth. But there's much less clarity into what is the level of that of, of those uh, of those uh, of those risks. So for for a body such as EISSB, which is really focusing on financial maturity, it's very very difficult to say which of the impacts in that area actually are clearly leading to financial consequences for the company and therefore should be included in the uh, in the standards so sorry for turning your question around i'm just saying why it is so difficult for the issb to do uh, to get this right why they need more time because you know there's no clear answer and i would argue that you can't have good sustainability related financial reporting if this reporting is not based on a clear impact materiality system. So I would just say, well, you can have the ISSB standard on climate, you can have the ISSB standard, hopefully on biodiversity and other issues. But for this to work well, we need that common basis, that common understanding, which impacts are material in their own right, because they are simply threatening the planet, they're threatening the environment, they're, uh, they're threatening uh, uh, global respect for human rights and, and, and so on and so forth. Once we establish that, then we can have a discussion, we can have standards about, you know, what does it mean for the company's bottom line, uh, really? So we didn't have that problem in Europe because we are supposed to develop standards that address both the, uh, let's say, the financial risks and opportunities uh, for the company, as well as the material impacts measured from the perspective of the, or understood from the perspective of the society, the environment, planet, and you know the survival of the, of the humankind. And by doing it all together, 
we had a great advantage because we could build a system that's coherent. We could immediately see the interconnections between water risks and human rights issues such as access to water in the S standards. And we could build the standards in a way that they correspond to each other and we could actually capture those over overlaps. Now, if we were to build the system standard by standard by standard, we would actually keep discovering you know, these connections and keep repairing the system so it uh, holds together. I'm not saying that's impossible, but it's definitely easier to provide a common conceptual framework for reporting on, on all issues. Well, that, that, was quite, that was quite a bit, right? <laughs> you, asked me, you asked me to give you a short answer, so apologies about it. No problem. I couldn't agree with you more uh, about the interdependencies between ES and G that are picked up through the European approach. And if, if a concept uh, that we're all supposed to hold did of just transition is to be successful, you have to address the, them both together. Um, uh, for what it's worth, I would argue. Now, um, I'm, let me try and tease you now a bit. Uh, you're sitting there in the board meetings, you know the individuals, um, you've seen the personalities, you have a personality yourself in this. Give us a bit of an inside view, if I can tease you to do so, on what the internal dynamics of the board are like and what we might learn about that. I would say in the first place that I have great respect for the European Commission and for EFRAC. The way they set up the system is probably the best way how, how it, it could have been done. It's far from ideal, but we've been able to develop standards in record time with participation of all major stakeholders, from civil society experts to trade unions, to the companies, to users, uh, including investors and so on and so forth. And what's more important to put this together in a body that actually does something where people don't argue that where people actually work collaboratively and are able to deliver on such a complicated issue it's almost unbelievable so i have great respect for actually for all these eu institutions to come up with that idea for trying to make this work and for actually succeeding in making this work now don't get me wrong i would have all kinds of grievances about the balance of powers and so on and so forth but in terms of how the board and I suppose the technical expert group in the EFRAC worked. Um, one thing that needs to be said is that there are great people, great individualities, and that's what really made it, made, it, uh, made it possible. There are some differences. Sometimes the differences are more on this side of the, let's say, uh, politics rather than, let's say, expertise or you know, expert, uh, expert opinions. But that's part of the design of the system. I mean, what is set up that EFRAC is doing is that it's facilitating expertise from various stakeholder groups, but it is also facilitating essentially uh, a consensus or at least a compromise between the most important stakeholder groups in this uh, in this uh, in this game. EFRAG has submitted these draft standards to the European Commission. They're now going to uh, um, uh, be. Uh, subject to further consultation by the Commission itself with the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA, and the other financial bodies in Europe, and also with the other EU institutions. And now you're starting work in the board on sector-related standards. So there's quite a lot going to happen in the next next year. How much uh, uh, do you think the draft standards will change? before the Commission finally agrees them in June next year. And on the sector standards, is this going to be like doubling the 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 um the work as far as companies are concerned? Um how much extra can we expect? Let me start with the uh, with the latter. 
the sector-specific standards should not you know, go out of the bounds of the sector agnostic standards in terms of the concept and framework and so on and so forth. So I think what they will offer is specifications and clarifications. Yes, additional, more detailed disclosure requirements. So for example, one of the priority sectors is uh, textile, apparel, and footwear. And you absolutely need the information on the supply chain management. You absolutely need to know, you know what is the exposure of, the, of these companies to, to you know, uh, certain high-risk supply chains and what's going on in there. So it's going to require certain work. But that's just a specification of the general requirements already included in the sector agnostic standard. So uh, I would look at it from this perspective. Sometimes more granularity, more detail does not necessarily mean that it's, you know, useless extra work or additional bureaucracy. I don't think so. It's just giving, you know, the substance to, uh, to the conceptual framework which has been set up in the sector agnostic standards. Um, so that's one thing. When it comes to the sector agnostic standards, the first set, that was approved by the EFRAC and sent as a technical advice to the, to the European Commission. Well, I hope there will be as little changes as possible because you know, this has been a system which has been developed through a thorough technical process with involvement of dozens and dozens of experts. So this now goes to the member states with a clear that's a signal from this multi-stakeholder group in the, uh, in the EFRAC which involved representatives of you know, business, banks, investors, and so on and so forth. Uh, saying, okay, this is the best one can do, and there has been no dissent. And any changes that will be introduced at this stage would be very likely driven by political interests. So that, that's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for actually breaking uh, the system. There might be some issues, some minor issues, like you know, just making the standards more coherent with certain you know, European uh, legal requirements coming from different, you know, area, different, different directives and regulations. So I can imagine there might be you know, such tinkering around the edges. But any change like you know, taking out this disclosure requirement from the cross-cutting standards, this just, well, we could scrap the whole project then. Dramatic, but that was clear. The final one, when the corporate sustainability reporting directive, the European legislation that mandates the standards was passed. The European Commission in their press release said this is the end of greenwashing. Are they right? Absolutely on climate transition plans. And maybe not the end of greenwashing, but the beginning of the end. Because, you know, companies will, will have to get naked when they make it, you know, those lofty claims. Philip, thank you so much. Uh, for spending this time with us on uh, Frankly Speaking. I'm afraid we have run out of time, uh, and but we would like to invite all of our audience to send us your feedback to Frankly Speaking at frankbold.org and also to share this conversation. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking, the Frank Bold podcast on responsible business. Watch out for our next episode and find out more about Frank Bold's Responsible Companies section on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Thank you again to Philip and to all of you for joining us. See you next time and goodbye.